Hello and welcome to the Tent Talks podcast. My name is Stephen Backhouse. This is the fourth and final episode of the Last Word series of the Tent Talks. We have been going since 2020 and it is time to draw the Tent Talks podcast to a close. All good things must come to a good end and I think ending well is very important for keeping something that was good to stay good. In this series, we have given space to previous guests to get their insights into what they believe to be true, even if they can't prove it, what they think the future is coming that we can prepare for now, what their final last words would be to the willing audience that they have in front of them. We've heard from previous hosts of the podcast and found out what their last words and ideas are. We've heard from new voices catch the temperature of where we are now and where we might be going. Today, in the fourth and final episode of our final series, we're going to return to a three-way conversation with Sean McCoy and Chris Marchand and myself. Sean and Chris were with the Tent Talks right from the start. I reached out to them for their expertise and their help when I knew I wanted to start this podcast. And indeed, uh, Chris has been the editor of every single episode since then. I've relied so much on Sean and Chris and learnt so much about from them of how to conduct interviews and put together podcasts, and I'm very grateful for their friendship over the years. You will hear in this uh, conversation our sense of what might come in the future and uh, some reflections on the last few years. And then I'm going to have a talk with some previous guests, Eve Poole is a voice who I love and I admire what she says and how she says it. And I really wanted to capture her visions and her thoughts of what she thinks to be true and what she thinks is coming that we can prepare for. I also wanted to speak to Galibe Omanaka. Galibe was the very first ever guest on the Tent Talks podcast. And I thought that it'd be really good to hear his literal last word. I hope you enjoy this show. We have loved making it with you and for you. We would like to continue to hear from you. Do send me an email at stephen at tenttheology.com if you have any ideas or inspirations of what might take the place of the Tent Talks. If you still want the material that we have been making, never fear, it is not going away. We are keeping this feed open We will not remove any of the interviews and discussions and teachings that we've done over the years. And in fact, we might even re-release material, uh, old material again, as it becomes relevant in this current season that we live in. If you go to the Tent Theology website, you will also find hours of teaching and discussion and classes that I have uh, recorded and then brought from behind a paywall to be made available to anybody who wants or needs it. Tent Talks would not be possible if it wasn't for the patrons who so generously give every single month to keep the doors open. The Patreon page also has hours of material, bonus episodes, discussions, conversations, meetups, extra teaching, Bible study material, anything you can imagine is on the Patreon page, and we are not closing that down either. If you are a patron and you need to reduce your monthly giving or even end it altogether, of course we understand and there's no need to feel bad about that at all. 
However, if you are a patron and you want to continue to give, then we would gratefully receive any donations. All the money that you continue to give goes towards paying the subscription fees for the podcast to keep the feed going and towards the website monthly rate that we have to pay. Your giving will help to keep this material available to anyone who needs it. And finally, I am not going away and neither are any of the guests or the voices that you've heard on this podcast. If you'd like to be kept up to date with any new developments or projects that we're involved in, do send me an email and I will put you onto a mailing list. We have developed a really good community over the last few years and I have loved being and talking with all of you. I want to extend my sincere thanks to the listeners to the people who have shared this podcast with others, to all the people who have commented or sent me emails in the past. I want to thank the patrons of this podcast who have helped to keep things going. I want to thank all of the guests that I've had over the last few years. They have generously shared their time and their expertise with us, and some of those conversations have been life-changing to me. I want to also acknowledge that we've had a number of guest hosts Different people throughout the years who have taken on the responsibility of putting together their own series, going and finding interviews, putting it together, editing, and all the other stuff and work that goes into creating podcasts, they have done for the Tent Talks. And those episodes have been some of the best ones that I've heard, and I've loved listening to different voices explore different topics. I also want to extend my thanks to my brother, David Backhouse for creating the theme music with the birds chirping in the background. And I want to thank Sean and Chris for their work right from the start, putting all this together and keeping it going. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye for now. I hope you write to me and we stay in touch. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of this episode as we explore the last word. Hello, fellow travelers, and welcome to the second half, the fourth part of the second half, second half of the fourth part, whatever, whichever one it is <laughs> that we're doing. Degree. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I'm in podcast mode, not math mode at the moment. So all that said, as we're wrapping this up, I want to take some time to talk to Chris and, and Stephen uh, about kind of the reflections on the podcast, what we've been doing. The first part of it, we talked about what these last three and a half years have been like, things that stood out where we're at the moment. But now I want to talk about going forward uh, on a you know, personal level, not only that, but around this ideology, if you will. What's, a, you, what, what's your predictions, if you have any? Stephen already kind of threw it out there that he were getting ready in the U.S. to elect, uh, you know, everyone's favorite Donald to the, uh, to the White House again. That's a prediction. And he didn't get much argument out of Chris and I, so I don't know <laughs> if that's uh, if that's good or bad, but indifferent, but uh, kind of like, what does it look like going into uh, 2024? Um, and then what's the future of these kinds of arguments? What's the future of these kinds of debates? What's the future personally, those kinds of things. And wanted to get their two cents worth on that. 
What do you think, Chris? You're, you're, what, what, what do you think, think is coming down the future? I'd like to hear you are, first. Are we talking about America here? Is that what we're talking about? What, the Just, world. Whichever, the whichever world. one makes it. If you want to put America first, you go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> boy oh boy i you know I, i've just read too many novels uh you know i've seen too many films like i guess i'm always in apocalyptic mode here you know i don't know it, it is interesting to think about like the 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 institutional collapses of the world around us mm. um I, i'm really looking forward to i, I I'm, I'm just always interested to how we're telling this story have you guys heard of this film coming up next year called civil war by mm-hmm. alex garland yeah. Have you heard about this? It's, I, it's I saw an the, American film, Stephen. You know, mm-hmm. you saw the trailer for it. I saw the trailer. It's it's sobering. <laughs> it's it's very very sobering. Yeah, I mean, it's like I want to watch it, but do I really want to watch this film? Right? You know, it's it's too disturbing. And uh, you know, you know, I, I there's one of my favorite books is a Canticle for Leibowitz, and it's about you know a post apocalyptic post nuclear America and what 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 remains, right? How do you how do you hold on to who we are as a people when things collapse. Uh, I don't know if that's what's going to happen. I honestly don't know. You know, another another narrative of cultural collapse is a slow decline, right? You you just kind of things just kind of crumble over the centuries. I don't I honestly don't know. Things go so fast nowadays, like, uh, you know, the the modern times are so fast. Uh, You know, Stephen, I, I am not convinced that we're that we are going to elect Donald Trump. But I also if I'm I am worried that if we don't elect Donald Trump, it will descend into chaos anyway. Yeah, because they won't they won't have it. The, the 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 for whatever reason that the people have, you know, joined that cult, uh, they they will not have a defeat. They they cannot accept it. And, you know, yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in that sense. And it, it will be interesting to see if America descends into violence. And what what do we do in the midst of it? Like if they're coming for our children, what do we how do we respond to that? Where do we go? You know, I don't know. I don't have great answers to that. Yeah. I mean, whoever wins. I mean, I don't. Yeah. Elections are won and lost. But one thing I I, I can tell you with rock solid certainty is that evangelicalism is tying it, it is become utterly corrupt. It's shown itself to be utterly intellectually and morally corrupt. Nine out of ten evangelicals are are MAGA Trumpists, right? And it doesn't matter if he loses; that's not changing. That is the utter destruction of of that form of Christianity. Yeah, and, and just a quick little thing here, and I'll <laughs> let the other others talk. What evangelicalism in America, at least, is showing is when they are proven to be corrupt. They still don't give up power. Instead, yes, no. they put it back on you. How dare you attack? Yeah, this is this is the spirit of Jezebel or whatever. Instead, yeah. they they take it back. They don't give up the power, which is a sure sign of how that relates to the politics, right? No, so it's I, I I'm not concerning myself with with politics. I'm just I'm interested in Christianity, yeah. and I'm looking at it, going, yeah, it's dead. It's dead, mm. and it's not just evangelicals in America, but uh, it's very much that wing that the when you're looking globally, if you want to step outside, I know Americans love to talk about America all the time, but if you're going to step outside of there is American Christians are part of a trend that we're seeing globally, which is that there is a uh, it's this, the right word fascist turn, but it's also of Christianity, but also it's what I guess you would call traditionalism. So it's it's a worship of of tradition, a worship of the past. And traditionalism is a is an ideology, actually. Which Steve Bannon, who was um, Trump's sort of major <laughs> right-hand man for a long time, and now is the podcast host of The War Room, he's a major right-wing voice. He's a traditionalist, which has an it actually has an occult kind of background. <laughs> it's a spiritualist tradition, but to do with deeply like paleoconservatism. Uh, 
which is something that you're seeing Christians around the world being attracted to and in lots of different countries. And the thread that's joining them all together, including very much American Christianity, is a sense that Christianity is a civilization. So it's a it's a love and a talking of Christianity itself rather than of Jesus. So it's all about what does Christianity, the civilization, do for the world? What did our set of laws do for the world? How did we organize our families and our businesses and our government? What art did we produce? And all, I mean, that's very ironic. If you've ever seen any evangelical art, it's very ironic that evangelicals talk about civilization. But anyway, the, this is what you're saying. And so what I've definitely noticed is a trend, and you're going to see more and more of this, is a trend towards, you get a lot of high profile people are becoming Christians, by the way, like you're not, it's not an, it's not actually a collapse of Christianity in lots of ways. What you're seeing is a lot of people becoming Christian. You got your Jordan Peterson type people on that end of the spectrum. A lot of public intellectuals are converting to a form or to talking positively about Christianity. Just pay attention to them, that a lot of these voices, they're not becoming enamored by the way of Jesus. What they are is they are interested in the conservative uh, civilization that was Christendom. That's what they're interested in. And a lot of Christians I'm noticing are being sucked up into this and really loving it. I, I know there's a guy, you might have heard of Justin Brierley. He, he does a podcast called Unbelievable here in the UK, and he has a big podcast. And he's interviewing a lot of people. He's just written books about surprising, you know, return to Christianity. And he's talking about all these atheists and stuff who have become Christian. And again, I'm looking at it and like, yeah, I've been on Justin's podcast. Like he's a nice guy. I'm not a slight against him. And I am also saying these guys need Justin and the people who listen to his podcast need to dig a bit deeper because this isn't a return to the way of Jesus. This is a return to Christianity. And it's not even the kind of radical Christianity. It's not your Stanley Harawas and your Shane Claiborne's that people are turning to. It's the Christianity of hierarchy and uh, when men were men and women were women and everyone knew their place and it's a overt and outright celebration of colonialism of christendom you know that's what we're seeing and so that's a thing that i'm definitely noticing that and that that's why a lot of this is going hand in hand with with even a fascism as well it's kind of law and order fascism because it's like this is what we need to return the world so i don't think christianity is dead i just think that the word christian is becoming not associated with the way of jesus anymore and to call you it's very easy to call yourself a christian and to celebrate christianity publicly and to have no connection to the way of jesus so i'm gonna i i'm predicting we're gonna see more of that so so in the spirit of that prediction and going forward and kind of recognizing what else is happening what i think is interesting about that context i don't know if you both you guys agree while those voices are coming you know back or whatever you want to call them are just becoming you know, more part of the, you know, just turn on Fox News or some sort of conservative media site. Mm -hmm. You're seeing this, you know, amazing things happening. But at the same time, I, what I feel like has been the voices on the other side, and I don't want to simplify it so much as to give it an either or, but countering voices and mm -hmm. some of you more that some of the, main, the mainstream counter, obviously the other side, liberals and woke and social justice warriors seem to be more prominent than they ever have been. Mm -hmm. So would would you agree with that? And if so, what does that mean if the other side is getting a little bit more playtime, is a little bit more mainstream, has a little bit more success? 
Are they the other side though? Are they doing this in the name of Jesus? No, no, typically no. No, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about global politics. I'm talking about Christianity. Yeah, and the the things that people do while calling themselves followers of Jesus. That's what, and I don't. I'm not seeing. Of course, they exist. Of course, the, of course, there are people on the kind of progressive left and all that who are doing things in the name of Jesus. Of course, there are, but they're they are statistically irrelevant when it comes to global Christianity or to American Christianity. Um, so I'm more looking at like what, when people call themselves a Christian, what do they think that they are? Um, so let me ask you a loaded, let me ask you a loaded yeah. question about that. Does it need to be in the name of Jesus to counter what Christ, what people in Christendom and people that are lowercase Christians, if you will, are doing, does it have to be in the name of Jesus? Well, no, I mean, Jesus even said he's, you know, he even predicted, as it were, that oh, I've got followers that you don't even know. <laughs> like that, uh, definitely calling yourself a Christian and and uh, enacting the way of Jesus are not gonna—they're not the same thing. And so, it is possible that there are people enacting the way of Jesus without calling themselves Christians, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, it's just—I I guess I'm—I'm I'm just trying to—I don't—I think that the whole woke kind of social justice warrior stuff—that's also part of the noisy, angry algorithm kind of world that we've invented in which it's just a lot of it is just sort of angry protest identity as an angry protester right Uh, a culture warrior mindset and and i don't think that that's that's the opposite of what chris was talking about earlier when he said sometimes you just need to shut up sometimes you just need to not not engage in the argument sometimes the right thing to do is to not say anything and that is the opposite of the culture warrior mindset, which I find on, you know, on on the different spectrums of progressive and conservative, that their identity is completely wrapped up in, in fighting those angry fights, vibrating noisily. <laughs> so I and and I actually see those people quite often. I see conservatives and liberals just on as this, on one side. They think they're on two sides of a coin. I see them as both one side of of a coin. They're both part of the angry, vibrating noise crowd. No, for sure. So, Chris, all all that said, in that context around what the future looks like, whether it's with a, with a prominent religious side from a from a you know, political Republican that kind of stuff, or not, and what does it look like going forward? And kind of how do you how do you see things? I mean, you alluded to some things earlier, but if you've had some time to maybe think about it or reflect on it a bit, what does it look like? And uh, what are you going to do? What do you? What do you? What place are you going to have in all this? What are you going right. to do, regardless yeah. well, of what the the system does? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, a couple of things. Uh, one thing we're we're all we're all middle aged here. I'm a little bit younger than you guys, but you know, it's kind of like we're in, in our middle age. We just realize how finite time is, and I've come to this place where it's like it's all going to burn up anyway. Right. Like everything that we put out there, unless you're Charles Dickens or, you know, like William Shakespeare, like everything that you do is going to be forgotten. Right. (laughs) So I'm kind of reconciling with that. I don't know if that's like a form of Christian nihilism or something like that, but whatever it is, it's like, well, so I might as well do something that I enjoy. I might as well put something out into the world that I'm just passionate about. Uh, I I heard a really intriguing quote recently. It was this. I can't remember where it came from, but it, it was in regards to satire and the usage of satire. And it was this. It said, you better make them laugh or they're going to want to kill you. <laughs> right. You know, 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, that's cool. I like that quote. Yeah. So you better make them laugh or they're, they're going to want you dead. So I think what I'm personally interested in is just figuring out how to put out different narratives, right? How to tell different kinds of stories, tell Ooh. them in different ways. Uh, and at the end of the day, I can't, I can't dictate how people are going to respond to it, but at least you can put out a different kind of story. Right. So that that's why I am intrigued by this movie, Civil War. I'm like, OK, what kind of story is this guy telling? It, how is he going to tell the, the story differently? Because I do think it does matter. I, it does matter. Like the types of stories we tell each other, the types of music we listen to, whatever it happens to be, the types of conversations that we have, they do end up shaping us. You can't control how someone's going to respond to it. So for me, for me, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a, a podcast about church abuse. I guess that's that's the trendy thing to do these days. Uh, <laughs> um, but for me, the impetus of it uh, that I'm gonna do it, it has to do with church abuse in America with a particular denomination. It's I just want to help these people tell their story. I just that's what I want to do. They're, I want to help them tell their story. And there's actually this Elie Wiesel poem, the guy that was in the, the Holocaust and, you know, he became an activist, a writer. He has this poem that's really, really like has resonated with me about telling the story of the people. Right. So that's that's what I want to do. I just want to help people tell their stories. And I have a I have a whole bunch of ideas of stories that I want to tell, too. And hopefully in the midst of my having four kids and, and you know, life itself, I can figure out a way to get these stories down somehow and get them out into the world. But either way, I, I'm going to die someday anyway. So <laughs> whether they happen or not, you know, well, you're midlife, so you have plenty of time. So you get a whole nother half to go. <laughs> but my brain, I feel like my brain is just so, so I'm just I'm in decline. <laughs> I'm doing my best here. You're doing well. You're doing well. So Stephen, what about you? Like how, what do you, all this other stuff happening one way or the other? Yeah. All the rise of you know, old empires. You know, what are you going to do in the midst of all that? What are you, what are you hoping to do? In the next? Well, I said, I said, uh, in the, the last time we, we all chatted in the first episode, I said that I've actually deliberately sort of removing myself from some of the angry noise machines, i.e. social media, not because I'm a Luddite, but because I recognize that it was really a kind of, capturing my attention and my my mental agenda was being taken over all the time so i i you know i'm trying to personally guard my joy as it were and not expose myself to angry noise all the time so not not following the clickbait you know when they want to tell me here's the you won't believe the, the five awful things trump said <laughs> that kind of stuff is just designed even if it's like meant to be critical of somebody who i'm critical of it's still designed to make me angry and i just think i need to have really need to be careful with that and i need to guard personally my my temptation is to be disdainful of human beings who believe certain things so i need to find a way to not dismiss human beings but to see the principalities in play like to see people more as a as part of principalities and They've been born into a certain system and they've only been fed certain information. So why am I surprised when they say certain things, you know? So I need to try to find a way to think more about systems rather than about human beings, as it were, to, to fight principalities and powers and not to fight human beings, not to fight flesh and blood. So one of the things I've been doing, personally, I am really interested in finding ways. Well, I still think Jesus is the solution to the world. <laughs> And, and I am tired of trying to convince Christians that Jesus is good because Christians do not like Jesus. A lot of Christianity does not like Jesus. It, it says it does, but it does not. It does not like the way of Jesus. And I can show you that in countless ways. So, but I still think the way of Jesus is good. 
So how do I do that? So one of the things I'm doing is I am deliberately seeking out other spheres and I'm trying to bring, you know, I'm trying to bring the, the, the ancient wisdom of conflict resolution of powers and principality language of kenosis, gentle space making, which we've talked about on this podcast many times of putting a limit on your will to make space for other wills of non-violence of not killing your enemies. You know, I'm trying to bring that sort of way of Jesus into business spheres or into government spheres or into with people who are trying to solve complex social problems. And I'm trying to do that. So I'm working, you know, as a writer, I'm working as a consultant. I'm trying to find work, helping design courses and things in those areas. And I haven't given up the way of Jesus. I've just stopped trying to convince Christians that they need it because they don't seem to want it. So I'm trying to find other people who want it. And it's like, I am trying to take my cues from when Jesus said, when you go into a village, find the person of peace and stay with them. So I'm just continuing to try and do that. Personally, I'm just trying to find people of peace. But I've also made it hard for myself because I've taken myself off social media, which is one of the best ways you can do to find fellow travelers. But anyway, so I'm making go my back. life harder for myself. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. So in the spirit, so Chris, you gave me an idea as, a, as an impromptu idea about the laughter. So as we end, as we wrap this up, um, Stephen, what, who makes you laugh? Like if you were to tell people out there, hey, what, here's someplace, amongst all the madness, you know, worst case scenario is going to happen, if you will. You're still going to be laughter in the world. Where do you oh, go? Oh, I laugh. Oh, I laugh all the time. I I only listen. I don't listen to podcasts. I don't listen to serious podcasts. I listen to comedy podcasts all the time. Which so? What's like the one? What's your go to? No, the one right now that I, I I've been listening to for a long time is called Comedy Bang Bang. I listen to Comedy Bang Bang. Um, and there's another there's another one, the Andrew Daly podcast. So he's Andy Daly is this really amazing. Uh, well, he's on Comedy Bang Bang. He's a lot, on Comedy right? Bang Bang, but then yeah, he has yeah, his yeah. own now, and I'm a supporter of his. And it's uh, uh, he's going. He's doing a watch along where he's watching every episode of Bonanza, the the western. And he and, <laughs> he, and he and his his colleagues they they watch they they do it they do a, a watch along of every four hundred and whatever episodes of Bonanza, which is very funny. And his co-host is Matt <laughs> Gorley, who is the producer of the Conan podcast. So if people listen to Conan needs a friend. They know Matt Gorley, so I listen to them. Also, what makes me laugh? I mean, I really am big fans of. Uh, I recommend, have you ever heard of Ostentatious, the improvised Jane Austen comedy group? So they, they perform uh-huh. live. Like it's, I don't think it's on online or anything, but they, they're improvised comedians and they, they will improvise an entire Jane Austen novel on stage in front of you with costumes and everything. And uh, I, I actually know some of the guys I've, I, I used to perform with some of them when we were all undergraduates together. And then they have taken off and into areas that I, I can only dream of ever being as good as they are at what they do. So ostentatious is the best improvised comedy I've ever seen. So there you go. Comedy Bang Bang, <laughs> Andy Daly, and Im- the Ostentatious Improv Group. Nice. Nice. Chris, what advice uh, do you give? I don't know. I, I, name somebody. 
like I like I like Stephen that you you named a few people because there's too many people that come to mind. I, I have so many that I just love. Uh, you know, like I love Norm Macdonald. He's a he's yeah. a comedian who died died a few years ago. Truth he had this ability to to rile people up. Like he went onto this show once, The View, and he said all the wrong things about President Clinton and it made them so mad. And he's just like, what 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 did I say? You know, like <laughs> and it, like I love that ability of the comedian to just like make you laugh, say things that kind of disturb you a little bit, but then, but then you come back down from it. And uh, like, like, like I, I think about Stephen, have you ever watched Mitchell and Webb? It's like an yeah, old sketch comedy show. I yeah. love, I love those guys. Like, like you can kind of just draw from all, all sorts of it. Uh, recently I've been watching the new Frasier reboot <laughs> and it's just kind of like a feel good show. And sometimes it feels nice to just watch a feel good show every now and then. I highly recommend if you want to watch a, a TV show, I, I think it's one of the best shows of the recent years is uh, Reservation Dogs. Yes. And love it's that. an incredible show. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. It's it's you cry. It's heartfelt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. There's just there's so much. I, I used to listen to comedy. Bang, bang. I used to. Sometimes I I can only take so much of it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but I do listen to Conan. I listen to Mark Marin's podcast. You know, so I do listen to a lot of po comedy podcasts as well. Excellent. So yeah. Reservation Dogs. That's a good. That's a good one. Brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. So I will. I will end with so three recommendations for comedians, because that's where I go. Is Bill Burr is one. Um, Nate yeah. Bregazzi is another one, and then Johnny yeah. Chang I think is really really good because they're there's this thing. It's this the uh, it's the smart humor reminds me of the Monty Python stuff. All my all my comedy for me personally starts with two things: Monty Python. And uh, the airplane movies way back in the day, where you had to like you had to really get all the subsets, like all the sub undertones, all the other things that are going on to really versus slapstick. Like I was never a fan of the not to categorize, but like Steve Martin or, or Jerry Lewis, or like falling down and like running into stuff or like swinging something and hitting people, and not knowing it. Like the kind of the dumb humor, I'm not never been a fan of, but that smart humor, if you will. It always makes me kind of listen, laugh inside and chuckle. So yeah, good, good stuff. Uh, I got a chance to see Bill Burr live mm -hmm. about a year ago, and he came to to my town here in the Midwest, and it was interesting because he spent about a third of the show insulting us. Yes, yeah, <laughs> right. Houston, and that, yeah. It, it, it's a magic trick, right? It's like mm -hmm. he gets you to laugh at yourself. Where yeah, right. it, like it's just like I said, like they should be killing him right now, and, and yet they're laughing at him. It's, right. it's amazing. Right. Well, you know, his whole like where he where he took off was in. I don't see. There's a oh, there's a YouTube video. There's this comedy show going on in Philadelphia. Yeah. And I've I've and the, seen it. Yeah. yeah you yeah. see it where the crowd is just eating. No matter who they throw up there, they're just like having it out with him. And he comes out there and he's like, and he's just you and your you got a Joe you got a Joe Lewis is the boxer, but you got F and Rocky Balboa up there instead, and all this other stuff. You bunch of you know, he's just he's giving him, and they loved him for it. And so it's just, and he's just made a, and he was, I, I followed him before that, but that was when he kind of, and it's, it is, when he came to Houston, dude, he was making fun of the guns. He was making fun of all the other stuff, all this, like, and he does do, and he did his, one of my favorites is on Netflix, the documentary, he, it's the show that he did in England. And he's making, he starts, he starts giving the Brits a hard time and that kind of stuff. And it's just, and you're like in this theater, like full of people in the UK and you're making fun, you're thinking, surely they're going to, you know, <laughs> skin this guy and drag him out, but they don't. So maybe there's hope. Even though I don't, I don't like that maybe, word. Maybe Sean, anymore, when but... when I start saying things about America, you can you can calm down a bit. Oh, it's okay. Maybe maybe oh, we no, can no. make fun of somebody. Even it it is very much. It, it it's it is funny <laughs> because it is because it's ridiculous. It is, and that's what gives. That's what's got me to calm down about all that stuff. Is you're just like it is. You know, we're not the greatest, and it's okay, and it's all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. It, 
But it is coming off that narrative because you can't take yourself too seriously. But it's it, it, you laugh, but it's true. We're going to need this. Don't take yeah. yourself too seriously. Like yeah. escapism is is good. You know, it's it can keep you alive as well. Like the idea, you don't have to engage all the time at a, at the same emotional pitch, right? Yeah, you just can't live that way. Like the world wants us to always be angry and always informed about everything. It's actually okay not to be informed and not to be angry about absolutely everything. You just can't do it. So it's okay. Watch some comedy. All right, Gemma. Well, there's no easy way to land this plane. Yeah, there's no easy way to end this. I'll just say on a personal level that I consider it an honor and a privilege and just have loved all the time that we've spent together around this. I cannot wait for that moment where we can all sit around and share a pint, hopefully in the UK, not somewhere in the United States. And that uh, whatever that happens won't be soon enough. But thank you all for your time today and all that you've done for those people out there that are listening. On behalf of those, one of those that was out there first. Thank you so much. And I don't, we don't know what the next thing is, but I don't think this is the end. I think there's, there's going to be more. But we have to watch this space. That'll be my last word. Watch this space. Keen-eared listeners will know the name of Eve Poole because Eve has been a feature on this tent podcast in various ways. She was a guest and also she's shown up on some of the Zoom posiums that we've done with the Yoho Journals. And I am so glad to welcome Eve back today for our Last Words series. Eve, welcome to the tent. Hello, it's great to be back. Uh, it's nice to see you again. Eve, we, we've, uh, you're a you're a person of great wisdom. You're a person of great observational skills. You can kind of see what's happening uh, around you and you weave it together into some really interesting ways. I love the way you think. And I wanted to get you in on this because I thought there's some stuff that Eve, the way Eve thinks and the way she expresses herself, I think is just so valuable. And I really wanted to see what what you wanted to say or what you would say if you were given a platform when you knew that no one was going to argue with you, no one was going to tell you to show your proof, no one was going to ask for references. And, you know, one of my one of my questions that I'm asking some of these uh, last words guests is, what do you know to be true, even if you can't prove it? I think the first answer to that question is, I know it to be true that I exist. And that's a really tricky thing because we don't actually have any evidence at all that we're not all just hallucinating merrily on some alien planet or in some computer system somewhere. And uh, if I exist, that means you exist. And that gives me huge joy. So I have a very fundamental apprehension of reality. And that, that sounds a funny place to start. But because of that, I am absolutely certain that God exists. And it is one of those foundational assumptions in my life that I'm not worried about proving anymore because I don't think it's provable and, and that doesn't bother me. And it may be that we've made God up, but as you find out from books like The Gruffalo, just because you make something up doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And certainly we could be fantasizing religions and entirely wrong about a lot of those kinds of things, but I am absolutely completely clear that God exists. And uh, because of that, I am very clear that 
we have been perfectly designed. And I'm doing a lot of thinking on that at the moment because at the moment we're trying to design artificial versions of ourselves in various ways. And that is making me think a lot about optimism and pessimism. So so I think I think I'd end my thoughts on this by saying that if I exist and God exists and God made me, God wasn't mucking about, God didn't kind of create a crap product just for a laugh. You know, God made me perfectly, wonderfully, fearfully made. And my life is about trying to figure out how do I honour that design and how do I live right by being a human? That's my thing. I don't know that this will end out well, but I have a belief in the fact this is tending towards the good because that's God's intention. And we're perfectly made for whatever God's purposes are. Now, you mentioned pessimism and optimism, and I am going to get you to talk about the future in a second. But I also want to ask a little bit more about, like, if you if you believe God exists, what, what do you think that is? What is it that exists? I think I would start with the start, which is that if you believe in God and you believe God's creative capacity, mm. then that summons everything up. Because mm. if God has made us, made the planet, made everything around us, made potentially other galaxies, other life forms, whatever, then there's an intentionality about that that I feel, find extremely exciting. And I suppose that's why I'm not pessimistic. I mean, I think you could argue from a materialist point of view that there is a teleology implicit in evolution and that we're all tending towards survival. But that narrative has been sort of hijacked by a lot of negativity about survival of the fittest and nature red and tooth and claw and nasty brutish and short and all these kinds of awful things about you know one person left standing on a hill with bodies piled around them Um, but that's not a, a narrative i i believe in and so i feel that of course we're stuffing up every day we just see more evidence of incredibly ghastly behavior by humans but it feels to me that if you have that starting hypothesis that god made us and that God is good, then there the must be a point to all of this. There must be an arc, mm-hmm. and, and that gives me huge hope. Well, let's talk about the future. What do you, what do you think is coming down the pike that that we could be preparing for now? Well, my goodness, my current obsession is AI, and uh-huh. I'm obsessed with it because it is the biggest challenge we've had existentially, probably ever, but certainly since you know the Copernican revolution and discovery of fossils and all these kinds of Mm -hmm. things, because we are having to think incredibly hard about what defines us as a human, because we're busy trying to copy ourselves and we haven't really done the math on that very well. And so in terms of what's coming, we are in a very unusual position with this innovation, because when they invented the wheel and they invented fire and they invented, you know, the loom and um, you know, penicillin and all these kinds of things. The, the, there wasn't a huge amount of help with that, you know, about what what's the manual. But actually, the thing about inventing robots, the thing about inventing artificial intelligence is we are not short of manuals because we have this extraordinary genre called science fiction or speculative fiction, however you want to mm-hmm. call it. And some of the best minds over the last, well, I suppose it was popularised by Frankenstein and books like that. But, you know, if you look back to Thomas More's Utopia, we, we've always dreamed about potential future worlds and what societies would be like and values and humanity. 
you know, it's part of a very long tradition, a very rich tradition. And of course, we thought it was fiction. So we sat in the you know cinema eating our popcorn going, oh, they're going to take over. And then in the end, it all resolves and we're all rescued. We go, hooray. And then we go back. Don't think twice about it. But of course, what's fascinating about sci-fi is it's gained for us every conceivable permutation of yeah. what could happen if, if and when we create AI that is rather independent of us. So I'm actually feeling quite excited about that because I think it's an unusual position to be in where we have quite so much help in how we might do this. But therefore, I'm a bit disappointed that we're just not paying any attention to that at all because it's fiction, obviously. But it's like, do well, you wish I'm... we'd pay attention? Now, first of all, plug your book, Eve. You, you, you oh, very humbly wow. didn't plug your book. Tell us your book and then Tell us what other voices you want us to pay attention to after we've read your book. <laughs> Gosh, thank you. So my book is called Robot Souls, and the yeah. subtitle is Programming in Humanity, because my yeah. hypothesis is that we have been so hell-bent on only rescuing the kind of impressive bits of us, like rationality and decision-making, that we have left on the floor all the kind of embarrassing junk code bits, like emotions and uncertainty and all that rot, um, the kinds of things you'd sack a robot for. But actually, if you take my starting hypothesis about God making us and God not fooling around, then there must be a point to all these perceived flaws. They can't really be flaws. There must be purpose there. And so the book is really an experiment in trying to articulate what all those flaws might be and what their function actually is in, in terms of human flourishing. Um, and in terms of who I need to read it, who I need to be thinking about this, I think there's quite a homogenous crowd who are involved in AI programming and AI discussions and AI regulation. Uh, there's definitely a gender bias. There's a Western bias. I mean, a lot going on in China, obviously, but we don't really know very much about that. All largely being held in private hands, all the AIs, so we don't really know what we're dealing with. There is probably a personality bias, um, all, all the kinds of things that we don't like about ourselves, like all this kind of emotional uncertainty and rubbishy stuff, is exactly the kind of stuff that, that the kind of traditional personality encoding doesn't like and wouldn't respect and value and, and think was worthwhile. So I think it is quite tricky because I think I'm an outlier. I'm a girl. I'm a theologian. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing from a position of not having been a coder for hundreds of years in one of the big labs in, in America. But I would like anyone who is concerned about AI and anyone who's not concerned about AI to read my book because there's a good 20 pages of glossary in there to help you kind of gen up on all the jargon so you don't feel stupid and and to be able to get, get cracking on this because it concerns all of us. I mean, all of this stuff has been done to us. You know, ChatGPT has only been released, so we train it up for free and we don't really know what we're doing, where this might end. So it feels to me that everyone needs to get cracking on AI, have a go at ChatGPT and do some Googling and read a lot of sci-fi to figure out what, what do you think about all these potential futures? And if some of them might feel more real to you now than they ever used to, what, what's your view as a citizen around how you want to influence democracy and influence what's going on? Um, to try and stop obviously bad things happening because no one's really thought about it. Are there any, in terms of like a guide to people preparing now for what you think might be coming down in the future, are there any voices in the sci-fi world that you think are worth paying attention to perhaps, or any thinkers that are preparing the ground? That's such a good question. I, I couldn't really put my finger on one particular writer, although I love Ted Chang. I think he's really mm -hmm. interesting. And Neil Stevenson is also a very good thinker. But I suppose what it's left me thinking is that we need to spend a lot of time being concerned about our own humanity, um, because there has been a kind of bias over the last wee while in the West to try and emulate robotic type 
thinking you know there's a lot of funding for stem and we've all got to be dead rational we've all got to be really logical and all those kinds of things and we've sort of neglected all the fuzzy stuff and the humanities and you know religious thinking and because we have devalued it you know ever since the enlightenment really but all that stuff is occurring to me crucial for our flourishing because it's all part of our design and it's all there to help us navigate the, the kind of fundamental design flaw of having free will that could just send us all off our rockers very quickly otherwise. <laughs> what do you think? You've got an audience in front of you now. You've got a you've got a captured audience of engaged fellow travelers who've been following us on this tent journey for three years. What do you want to say to them? What's your last word? Oh my last word. One of our absolutely extraordinary superpowers is storytelling. And we're really, really good at it. We've been doing it ever since we sat around fires. And those stories are incredibly sticky. And what's really interesting is the religions have made a particular virtue out of capturing and retelling those stories. And if you think about what religious communities are trying to do, any any community of belief, really, or, or lifestyle, they're trying to encourage travellers to say, well, look, you know, we we all can make mistakes. We all know that we don't always know what we ought to do. And it's not always clear why things are happening to us. But there are some things we can hold on to. We can tell our stories. We can encourage each other. We can practice virtuously. And when you're looking at AI and you're looking about the future of humanity and you're looking at this problem about, you know, control and alignment and what happens when we go rogue and what happens when robots go rogue. Actually, that's what the religions have been doing for thousands of years. They've been saying, well, we don't want this people to go rogue. So here are the Ten Commandments or here is a liturgy or, you know, here's a story about what happens to bad people, whatever it might be. And actually, you know, in, in the UK, if you're a vicar and you've just become a vicar in your church, the bishop shows up and as part of the ceremony, he hands you a bit of paper and he says, receive this cure of souls, which is yours and mine. And I love that, the cure of souls, because that's what the churches have been doing for yonks. They've been trying to cure our souls. They've been trying to keep us on the straight and narrow, show us what good looks like, you know, keep us being human. Uh, And it just feels to me that all of us need to be really, really getting stuck into that because we're in danger of losing our humanity because of AI. And actually, it's the only thing that's distinctive about us is the fact that we have God's design, we're made in God's image, and we are the protectors of that vision, that idea. And we've got some smarts. We've got some smarts about how do you stop people going rogue, and we don't always get it right, of course, but we we do have some ideas that might be helpful. So I would encourage you all to find your voice and get bossy and get stuck in and say, well, hang on a minute, there are some experts in souls around here. Let's bring them in. Eve Poole, thank you so much for giving us your last words. I loved it. And all love to you.
Well, here we are. Keen-eared listeners might remember that on the 16th of July, 2020, the Tent Talks had their first ever guest. And that guest was Galibe Omanaka. And Galibe, it is now later than the 16th of July, 2020. We are now deep into 2023. How are you doing, my friend? I am in a totally different place yeah. than I was three years and three-ish months ago. <laughs> Let's. Where where were you three-ish years ago? What was happening in 2020 for Galibe? Well, COVID was happening. I think I still had to wear a mask every time I went to Trader Joe's here in California. Yeah. Were you, were you attacked for wearing a mask? Um, I did. I... <laughs> I did have I did have the most uh I did get called a sheep by someone once for wearing a mask. Okay. Okay. I feel like I had I feel like I had an experience that kind of sums up life in Redding, California so so perfectly. So <laughs> we were doing a little bit of work on the house. I went to a hardware store. I had to buy a, a big piece of sheetrock. It didn't fit in the car. I had two strangers stop and ask if they could help me. One of them even offered to put the sheetrock in his truck and, and like a complete stranger said, hey, like, do you live close to here? I can put this in my truck and I can drive it back to your house if you want. Wow. And then I saw someone I knew who was like, hey, I can help you out. I figured out a way to get it done. I just took it inside, cut it in half. And then as I was walking inside, I put my mask back on. And then someone I know said, why are you putting that mask on? Don't be a sheep and left <laughs> me by myself. I thought this, this past fifteen minutes, this past this past fifteen minutes couldn't any more perfectly encapsulate right. life in Red California. Life in Red in California. <laughs> so that that was what was happening in the summer of 2020. Little did I know that we would have the presidential election of 2020 and all of the chaos that would ensue, the temporary fracturing of relationships that would happen. So some of the fracturing was temporary. The the perspective changes that I had. A permanent, mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah, I mean, that time was moving forward from July and into November, December, January. Mm. That time was very, very difficult for me. Um, very, very dark season in a lot of ways. But now I feel like I've come out to the side of it and in a better, healthier, more stable place than I was before. Are you finding the fractured relationships? Is that still happening or have they, some of those been healed or have they remained fractured? And maybe is that a good thing? So it's complex. You know, Stephen, I'm going to invite you to push back on me at any point of this conversation. If, if, if at any point I say something that you're like, whoa, 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 like full permission to, to call me out. Um, Can I call you a sheep? <laughs> if you wish. You know, biblically, I thought being a sheep was good, but I know apparently... exactly, exactly. There's so many things wrong with calling someone a yeah. sheep as an insult. Yeah, it's like Psalm 23. I thought we liked that, right? I John know, 10. I, I know, thought we liked that, right? But now, you know, apparently not. Um, we're you know, so yeah, there was. I'd say there was a fracturing and a resetting, and I feel like a lot of the resetting has been one way. There are some there are some conversations that I haven't had to been able to have with people who behaved and acted in ways that I thought to be incredibly destructive. I still do think they were incredibly destructive, but in a lot of ways I had to just go away and do the work by myself. 
And so what that means for me in the here and now is that, and I think I mentioned earlier that I feel a lot more stable in a lot of ways. It's hard to articulate, but I would say that now I really feel like I'm at a place where it's a lot easier for me to receive from people. It's really hard. It's really, it's really almost impossible for me to completely discount someone. I feel like in the, in the age of culture warring and this, that, and the other, we there's a huge temptation to draw a line in the sand. On one side is the good people, on the other side is the bad people. Oh, look at that. I'm in the good people camp. It's really hard for me now to to act in that particular way because I found that behavior so destructive and so uh, so harmful. And so how can I then turn around and do and treat other people in the exact same way? And so, you know, here's here's an example of how of how deep some of this went. For for a long, for a long season of time, it was actually really hard for me to pray and read my Bible in the morning because one of the most destructive people who I was around placed such a high emphasis on that. And I'd think to myself, well, hey, he's doing this all the time and he's still acting in this particular way that I want nothing to do with. Yeah. So praying in the morning and reading yeah, right. my Bible isn't the antidote. So, you know, I'd sit down in the morning and I'd try to read my Bible and pray and I'd be like, well, what's the point if it's not going to stop me from turning out like yeah. this? Yeah. <laughs> and so I had I had a long season of life where I was essentially just meditating on Psalm 23. That was that was as far as I could go. <laughs> I would sit in contemplation and I and I would recite Psalm 23 <laughs> over and over again. Corporate worship spaces were not possible for me to be in because of some public figures who seem to think that gathering people together and singing songs would fix everything while they themselves were some of the most harmful voices in the whole context of Christianity and politics. You know, again, a slightly funny story about this was that, you know, I, I really couldn't listen to any corporate worship except for perhaps United Pursuit Band who... Okay. Think have been i've really enjoyed their journey for the past 10 12 years however long i've been listening to them really really thoughtful really really engaged and then gospel music and so one day we were driving i was driving somewhere with my family i think this would have been maybe winter of 2021 or maybe early 2022 and my wife put on this song by all nations music it's a gospel gospel album from a church in chicago i believe and if you're familiar with gospel music, there's a lot of ad-libbing in it. I actually quite liked the song musically, which is another feature of gospel music. They're really talented. And the, the the man who was singing said, come on, everybody, praise the Lord, or something like that. And I felt myself do it involuntarily. Oh, okay. And it, I felt myself respond to the to the call to praise. Okay. And in, in that involuntary response, I realized, oh, my gosh, I haven't done that in a year. Like in doing it, in, I wasn't trying, right. you know, I was just listening to the music and enjoying it. And then yeah, when yeah. there was the spontaneous ad lib, like, uh, you know, lift up a praise to God or something, I did it. I was like, oh, wow. Like, and I was like, oh, I haven't felt that in a whole okay. year. Okay. I feel, I feel like I'm meandering a little bit. So yes, fracturing, re resetting of everything, really hard to pray and read the Bible. Uh, and now I'm at the place where I'm more stable and it's really hard to, to, to write people off. And so one of the people who I was thinking of who made it really difficult for me to pray and read the Bible, one day 
he actually, he was driving past me. He stopped and he said, hi, how are you doing? And it was this really interesting thing where there were, where I could see in his eyes, genuine love, warmth and affection for me. He didn't know how difficult he'd been for me to be around and to contemplate. And I could see the genuineness of his affection for me in the interaction. And that really challenged me because I was like, you know, this, this wasn't fake. You know, I hadn't had any difficult conversation with him because I hadn't had the chance to be around him. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I wasn't, you know, he was right. He was in a car. I was walking. I wasn't going to be like, Hey, do you, know, do you know how difficult you've made life for me since 2020? <laughs> you know, that wasn't going to happen, but there was genuine love in that moment. And I was like, Oh gosh, what do I do with this? Okay. And so as I was watching the culture warring happening, and this dividing line of like, hey, you know, oftentimes it would be along the lines of um, partisan politics. Republicans equal good, Democrats equal bad. As I was confronted in this moment by this genuine love directed at me from this person who had caused so much trouble to me, I was like, well, I can't write him off altogether. Right. There has to be, there has to be a place where I can stand in the midst of like, Hey, you made my personal spiritual life really hard for at least a year. Yeah. But I can see that there is good in you. I can see there's love in you. I can see there's warmth in you. I can't disregard everything you say. Right. And to kind of make a very, to make a shorter story very long as I'm, (laughs) (laughs) I, I would say that, I would say that the thought of staying and receiving the good that someone has to give me. Yeah. Is a lot it's a lot easier for me to do now, but at the same time, the thought of the thought of walking away when someone starts spouting nonsense is also a lot easier. It's a lot, it's a, it's a lot easier for me to be like, hey, listen, you're talking nonsense. You do not realize how compromised you are. The way I feel more prepared to do that without offense being a part of it. And I'd say this is another thing that I think has happened that looking back on the way I responded to a lot of stuff in the past, there was definite offense there. And I think I, I think I heard someone mention this the other day that Dallas Willard said when asked what when Dallas Willard was once asked, like, what's the definition of a mature Christian? Uh-huh. He responded that a mature Christian is impossible to to offend. OK. And so that, that doesn't mean that you can't take a strong disliking to something and that you can't disagree with something with every fiber of your being. But the way in which that type of thing used to used to really get its claws into me and consume mm, me no okay. longer there. Yeah, right. Uh, at least, at least, I'm not going to say I'm perfect in it, but it's no longer there to the degree that it once was. And so I'm really, I'm, there's, there's a tremendous sense of freedom in that for me, where it's like, hey, on seven out of 10 things, everything you say is nonsense. But you're speaking on the three out of 10, okay, I can take that from you. As soon as you go to the seven out of 10, like, oh, no, I'm just not, you know, well, sorry, we're not talking about that. I'm leaving. I'm going. That's fine. That that process for me has been, I feel like I'm at a really good place in that regard. And so in that sense, I'm actually kind of thankful for the journey because mm. I definitely feel like I'm in a much better place now. Yeah. You know, does that answer your question? That was a very- What a, what a trip. What a trip. <laughs> <laughs> Three years. That's it. Now, Galibe, what we're doing- I'm asking different guests for this particular series. It's called The Last Word. And uh, we're coming into land with the tent talks uh, as a as a whole. And uh, one of the things I'm interested in is 
what do you believe to be true? I mean, maybe you've even been talking about it already. Like, I'm interested in like, what do you believe to be true, even if you can't prove it? Is there anything that you just know to be true? And we're not going to argue. Mm. We don't have to prove it to anybody. Yeah. Okay. So could you narrow it down a little bit for me? What do I believe to be true about is because um, we're doing tense. Is this about, is this about like about the Christian life for say, I mean, I'd imagine it is about the Christian life, but is there a particular. No, it doesn't ha- definitely doesn't have to be about that. What you've got is a, an engaged and captive fellow traveler audience here. What do you want to say to them? Okay. I think that two things come to mind right now. One of them is true for all occasions, and then the other one is true for some occasions. So the first one I would say is that I, as <laughs> I could phrase this in a way that, you know, my environment would find very scandalous. I don't think whatever. <laughs> Are anybody from that environment listening to this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. So okay, I'll ask yeah, I'll, so I'd say the first thing for for all occasions, the universal thing. I would say is that as a Christian, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should be committed to human flourishing in any and every circumstance that we come across. And so, and I'd say that some of the truth that follows on from that is that, you know, because I know, I know a lot of what this podcast has done is really help people navigate Christianity in the midst of a Oh, Jesus following, I should say, yeah, in the uh, against the backdrop where Christianity and politics has been intermingled in ways that are just awful. Yeah, and so as someone who is committed to human flourishing in every way, shape, and form that I that I can be, or at least I try to be, that means that you should look kind of odd to party politics, partisanship. I feel like I'm I'm really I'm really looking for really longing to see people who have a consistent witness that looks Christ-like that can't that won't fit neatly into a left or right binary as meaningless as those definitions are and so for me as a Christian yes it's like when you talk about some of these really divisive issues I mean honestly for example you know as we're as we're talking about this today the news of what's happening in you know in Gaza and Israel is dominating the news media and you'll have people who who come down strongly on one side and people who come down strongly on the other side both of which are most you know to come down on one side over the other is folly is as uh as believers we should be committed to human flourishing i believe and that means that we stand we stand for peace that doesn't mean we stand for or against israel or for or against palestine it says we stand for peace we stand for we stand for the flourishing of those who are caught up in this for no for no reason that they for no fault of their own i should say but i mean you're a you're a deeply intelligent thoughtful guy and you you observe things really well i definitely know that about you you're, you you have a keen uh, eye you read a room really well you have you pay attention to big trends what's your hunch about the future is there anything that you think is coming that we could prepare for now honestly i don't i don't know i think that some days, some days I think to myself, like, hey, everything's going to work out. Mm. And then some days I think to myself, like, hey, like, we could we could just wander into the midst of a catastrophic war that changes the planet as we know it. Because, I don't know, you know, to, not to sound glib about it, but 
like World War II also happened after the death and resurrection of Christ. So really terrible things can happen. I think it would be foolish to think that like, oh yeah, that's not going to happen. You know, that can't happen now. Like the, there's no, there's, there's no, there's, you have nothing to base that assertion on. And so all, all that I can do really is, is figure out how I'm going to position myself, how I'm going to hold myself in the midst of it. You know, I'd, I'd really like it if things didn't go terrible, terribly. I'd really like it if we didn't see some kind of catastrophically damaging, like hot war that changes, you know, that leads, leads to the death of millions of people. But I can't guarantee that. And so what what I see coming, I guess, is the need to really, really ground yourself in the teachings of Christ. And I would have said the same thing three years ago, but the place that that's coming from is totally different because, yeah, the place, I, I don't even have words to, I didn't really have words for it. The place that I'm saying it from is totally different. But I guess I would say that if you think that, if you think that being part of a big church movement that has a lot of money and can spend a lot of stuff on media and on influence, whatever is going to, is going to fix everything. I'd say that you, I'd say that you're mistaken. And this isn't me saying that if you are part of a big church movement, that you're in sin or anything like that. Like I'm not throwing my hat into the ring in that way, but living and positioning yourself in a way that is other centered and that otherness comes from Christ, not your culture, not your politics, not your, you know, your identity. I would say that is going to be incredibly important. And I think as well, the need for discipleship is, I would say that that is so clear and so clearly needed in my mind. A lot of the difficulty that I had navigating through the, through the 2020 election and afterwards was that it became so clear to me that our discipleship in the American context, shall we say, and I'd, I'd probably say the, the the Western context is deeply, deeply flawed because you saw so many people who've been going to the right churches, listening to the right messages, singing the right songs for so long. But then as soon as something happened that they didn't necessarily like, Christ-like behavior was the first thing to go out the window. And they resorted instead to this awful form of tribalism that was just so damaging oh yeah i mean i i've said before i think even on this podcast like there's there's very few things about christianity you can prove like demonstrably prove but one thing you can prove is that regular churchgoers do does not make you a good disciple of the way of jesus oh yes we can prove that we can it's there the statistics are inarguable (laughs) oh yeah and especially especially the way in which we the way in which we do church as well there's a message I heard by by Francis Chan. I've still got quite a big soft spot for Francis Chan in a lot of ways. But he told he told this really interesting story about how he had, it was either like he had some people, some evangelical people, not evangelical, but you know, I think it was Jehovah's Witnesses or something, knock on his door. And he says, you know, he's like, I really like having these conversations with people. And he, he basically asked them the question, like, hey, if you were to just read through the Bible so you can understand it perfectly, culturally, contextually. If you were to just read through it from front to back, or even the New Testament, if you could just read through that and just take what it says and apply it to your life, he was like, is Jehovah's Witness what you'd come up with? He's like, I don't really think so. That was his thing. But then the thing that I really liked about him was he was like, because at the time, this was before he gave up his megachurch. He had a megachurch that he yeah, gave right, up, which right, to right. me is just yeah. such a such a baller move. 
And at the time he was speaking to his own mega church. And he said, like, and let's let's take this example and turn it on ourselves. He was like, if we were to just read the New Testament, do you think that the, the, the body of believers is supposed to drive to a big building, sit shoulder to shoulder, face the front for an hour, and then leave and go home? He's like, no, I don't think that's what we were supposed to do. <laughs> and and so to, to your point, like, yeah, regular church attendance like doesn't isn't gonna fix you. If the way in which you're being fought, if you're uh, more, being more, 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 even than that, it, it actively works against. Yeah. It's, you know, it actively puts things in your life that's, that puts you uh, in an impossible position to become a follower of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what, Galibe, would you, what's your last word? What's your last word to the, to the listeners of the, of the tent talks podcast nobody's going to argue with you nobody's going <laughs> to follow you up afterwards i would say that whatever context you find yourself in try and participate in a form of faithful christianity that is as small as possible and what I mean by that is, so one, something that has saved me from shipwreck is quite literally just being part of a small group, a group of people who, you know, because I said, so I've had it before where leaders of big Christian movements have been like, hey, you know, to me, like, hey, we're friends. Hey, we're family, you know, and in my head, I'm like, well, what's my wife's name? What's my last name? What's my kid's name? You know, because if we're, if we're friends and family, you can't answer those questions like we're not type thing so being part of a small group where we would meet regularly we would look each other in the face we would ask with genuine care like hey how are you doing like what's happening in your life how can i be of service to you people who know my children's names who have who've grown to love and care for my children and who my kids have grown to love and care for you know, I, I had I had this really beautiful moment, just a really small thing that happened last on Saturday. It was my birthday this Saturday. And we had some people over. We went for a walk. And then as we were walking back, I had my youngest kid. She's going to turn two next month. She was walking right next to me for a second. I turn around, look at something, and then I turn around and she's gone. And I think, oh, my gosh, where is she? I look behind me. She's holding hands with someone else from, from, from my small group. And I was like, just the fact that, you know, someone who's not part of our family, who she recognizes, who she can feel, who she feels care from in all 23 months of her life, who feels who she feels comfortable walking and holding hands with outside of her, outside of home. I was like, this is this is exactly the type of thing that we are. This is exactly how we're supposed to be, I believe, as as followers of Jesus. And so for those of you who are struggling being in a church context and for those of you who feel like you aren't struggling and you just like sitting next to strangers every week in church, I'd say, no, 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 no. Like find, find a smaller version of Christianity that you can, that you can, because there's, there's, there's life there that is way so much richer than the big church service. I'm speaking from a hundred percent from experience in in a lot of ways, like the smaller, the better as it were, because that for me is where true life is in Christ and in community.